Hello and welcome to the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. Add an extra syllable in there. <laughs> uh, my name is Chris and I'm joined as always by my wonderful co-host Lee. Hello. Uh, we missed you. I, I think it's been, oh no. Um, we've got our... The schedule's all out of yeah. whack. So yeah, we've been banking episodes in advance because uh, Lee's got a very hectic schedule coming up. So um, I haven't, we haven't sat down to record an episode of in person for a very long time, yeah. actually. We did one during lockdown. We did two during lockdown, but they were via Zoom. Ugh, so it's been... I hate that. Yeah, it's been a while since it's an in-person record. So mm. excuse us if we're a little rusty. Yes. But uh, we're, we're not alone this episode. No, we're not. There's somebody else here. <laughs> Who is it? <laughs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> it's Josh. <laughs> and, and who is Joshly? Josh is my husband and a basketball lover. I'd say enthusiast. Enthusiast. But... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, um, I guess with basketball, I have a very big passion. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, that doesn't translate to talent. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we, we wanted Josh to join us on this episode because for the longest time I thought this movie was about golf. So, ah, <laughs> yes. See your problem. Wah, wah, bad joke. <laughs> but before we get into this week's film, uh, how are you guys going? Uh, good week? Um, yeah. Bad week? week? Seen anything interesting? Uh, what have we seen? What have we seen? No. I saw the tra- trailer to uh, The Tomorrow War, which looks pretty lame. <laughs> <laughs> and all reports uh, have uh, gone, gone that way. So. Yeah, I, I'm still yet to watch it. I really do want to watch it, mainly because uh, Mike Mitchell is in it, who is somebody that I really like. Uh, he hosts the Doughboys podcast, and he was in Love. Oh. Um, yeah. Who was he in uh, the guy who's shacked up with uh, Claudio Doherty. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, I'm a fan of Mike. So. And who's Mike's he, Man Mitchell. There's yeah. an Australian as well um, uh, who is the... I think she plays like a blonde doctor. She was in that uh, ABC TV series Stateless. I've forgotten her name, though. I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, you've got nah. Chris. Chris yeah, always knows everything. No, what, no, when we get to, like, Australian TV, I'm just like, I don't know. Or, or blonde women, I'm like, I don't know. You're she's married in... to a blonde woman. <laughs> yeah, she, she dies. <laughs> I think she's in The Handmaid Tale as well. And oh, Anyhow, sorry. But she's, yeah. Hmm. It's good to see Ozzy's doing well. Yeah, yeah. But you saw something this week, didn't you? Yeah, I got to go to a um, uh, so, some of the occasional lovely perks from my job. I got to go to a cinema, a new cinema opening. How cinemas are... Like, I'm not saying, like, a cinema reopened for business. It was, like, a brand new complex opening. Um, how they're pulling that off post-COVID, good for them. Uh, more power to them. But I got to go and see uh, Black Widow before uh, earlier in the week. Mm. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, and uh, my review of that is it's a Marvel movie, so it's three, three and a half. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's totally race. like yeah. There'll be wa- another one next week. Yeah, you're watching. You're just like, cool. That was fun. All right, <laughs> we're moving on. <laughs> I am not shook. Um, I will say, like, I mean, the the one bonus saving grace that this one had, apart from having you know Rachel Vice in a smaller role but fucking second lead Florence Pugh coming yeah. in like absolute rock star so she's Florence Pugh Florence Pugh 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 
Pew. I think it's Pew. Florence Pew. Uh, <laughs> Pew. Sounds like Pew. Pew. Yeah. <laughs> but um, okay. yeah, no, I, I mean, she's amazing, and she always is. Um, yeah. We, I, I took um as my date uh, a friend and previous guest uh, and current, like fairly frequent commentary co-host uh, Mike came along with us, and um, yeah, we were just he'd never seen her in anything really before, so he was like, yeah, she's great. And we were commenting that it's kind of fun that. Scarlett Johansson finally gets her own standalone Marvel movie after she's killed off in the main <laughs> series. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I haven't watched a single Marvel movie. Not one. Not a single... Oh, come on. You have to have seen at least, like, one of them. Like, Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. Avengers. I beg your pardon. I have seen Guardians of the Any Galaxy. Iron Man? Thor? No, nothing? Nothing. That's a, Like, you're not missing... I'm a rarity. Yeah. Because they're just so fucking many of them. It's, and like, where do you start? And the problem, yeah. The thing with the Marvel films is they're adequate. <laughs> <laughs> like you watch them and you're just like, that was super fun. I'm never gonna think of that film ever again. But I, it was entertaining while yeah. I was watching it. Like they're solidly done. And what was kind of cool about Black Widow is it was made by an Aussie. It was made by Kate Shortland, who uh, way back when made uh, Somersault. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. And so the, for the first half of the film, it's really shot like a Kate Shortland film. Lots of handheld, like, short depth of field. I'm like, oh, this is different. And then it just slowly shifted into just Action Marvel movie. There's CGI. a base in the sky that they've got to blow up. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, so Marvel's bringing the Antipodeans in to uh, direct Marvel films. I guess yeah. so. <laughs> yeah. I like that you don't just poo-poo on them, Chris, though. Like, I, mean, it's... I think they're an easy target for that sort of thing, and I yeah. think it's good that you can just go in with an open mind and enjoy it. Oh, they've is. definitely got their place in the market. Yeah, for sure. I mean, oh, fuck, they, they are the market. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it's... Uh, it, they're fine. Like, you know, it's... It's a... Con- like, what do you want? <laughs> it's, it's a big blockbuster <laughs> thing. It's fine. It's fine. I had fun while I was watching it. There was free popcorn... <laughs> Super comfy recliny seats. It was fine. And it was, and it was free. <laughs> I'll make you a t-shirt that says, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> what, what, what was the new cinema complex? Where, um, out in, it was out in Altona North. Oh. <laughs> so it was, it was a hike. Okay. So it was a free ticket, but it was probably about $20 in petrol. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I guess moving on with that, all of that stuff, um, as we said, we've been kind of recording these a bit out of whack. Yeah. So... At the time of recording this, uh, no uh, listener mail. But if we get some on our FFA episode, which we might, because I'm hoping we do, because we did not like that. Movie. <laughs> uh, oh. If we do, we're gonna, I'm going to cut it in right now. Oh my god, we did actually get some mail. So it was good that we pre-recorded that little break. So I'm going to jump in here quickly. Uh, no Lee, unfortunately. She's a little bit tied up at the moment, uh, both working full-time and studying full-time. And also the fact that we're in the middle of a massive lockdown here in Australia. So <laughs> unable to get her along to hear some of this mailbag stuff, but I have passed them along and uh, she loves them. So, we're going to get things started with an email from Andrew Jarrett, who, uh, again, has the consensus that uh, pretty much across the board, everyone agreed that Lee won the tagline challenge uh, with her absolutely convoluted, over-the-top Simpsons quote one. Uh, we had an Instagram comment that actually said, uh, Lee's wins because it is long, convoluted, and pointless, just like the film. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, I will jump into Andrew's uh, email where he said... Uh, 
Yep, Lee nailed it again. So in addition to uh, thinking that Lee nailed the tagline, uh, he also thinks she nailed the film's idea. Uh, he says, it's all Wells' experiment. Uh, it's audience manipulation. Even when he's smashing you over the head and telling you that you're being manipulated, you can't stop it. And, the th- <laughs> and I think the correct response to the film is frustration and confusion. Uh, we were definitely on board with you there. Uh, the only true truth, uh, I think, is all the men gazing over Orson's girlfriend in those candid park scenes. Uh, those pervs uh, staring at her are the only honest response in the whole film. Uh, he did say that he respects the doc, but it doesn't mean that he has to like it, um, which is a complete and utter thing that we uh, totally agree with. Uh, the other, we had another email. Oh, sorry, Andrew's tagline as well was, uh, what the F for fake? And then uh, we had another email from listener Keelan, who said this is his third time watching F for fake. Uh, he was first shown the film in film school by their lecturer, who wanted to do something else other than teach them. Uh, as a bunch of 19-year-old, uh, 19-year-olds fresh out of school, uh, he said, we treated it like any other class where the teacher wasn't there and had something like a paperball fight, uh, which prompted some of the mature students to leave the class altogether. Uh, he watched it again a few years later uh, because a, a friend of his really loves it. Uh, but he says, I can't understand how. The first hour is, really, is a really poor attempt to make something interesting out of a couple of interesting people. But with Wells doing all the talking, whereas the last half hour is just Wells showing off his new girlfriend. And his tagline is, F for fuck off. Just fuck off. So, some great emails and responses. I was so happy that you guys as well uh, engaged with the film like we did, in that you found it frustrating, confusing, and annoying. Uh, On a little bit of a weirder note, uh, Keelan, who sent in that last email, I actually bumped into him in person uh, when when I was at that cinema launch, uh, that Black Widow event that I was just talking about. Uh, it's always so great to bump into someone who actually listens to the show, and uh, especially someone that we've met a couple of times before, just um, out and about in the world. So uh, lovely to see you again, and thanks for all the support and emails. And let me know what you thought of Black Widow. Uh, keep the emails up, as we always say. We love hearing from everybody. So, uh, But with that, back to Hoop Dreams. Okay, so hopefully there was a cutaway to something. <laughs> um, but, uh... I guess it's time to talk about Hoop Dreams. Woo! From 1994, directed by Steve James. Yep. All right. Two ordinary inner-city kids dare to dream the impossible. Professional basketball glory. In this epic chronicle of hope and perseverance, filmed over a five-year period, Hoop Dreams follows young Arthur Agee and William Gates as they navigate the complex, competitive world of scholastic athletics while striving to overcome the intense pressure of family life and the realities of their Chicago streets. Mm-hmm. Less about basketball. Yeah. But we'll get into it. The Criterion Collection is proud to present this landmark documentary about two remarkable families who challenge the American dream. Yeah. Okay, so, right off the bat, Lee, you had never seen this before. Yes! No, no that's right. Um, no, I never... <laughs> yes, no, no, yes. Whatever the answer is. Yeah. Um, no, I never seen, I never heard about it before. And I love basketball growing up. I played basketball, collected basketball cards, had a basketball doona cover. <laughs> As everyone who was a kid in the early 90s did. Yes. Like, it was hard 
not to. Like, yeah. coming off of that, like, you know, is the year, like, the, it was the Jordan era. Yeah, like, that's absolutely. the easiest way to sum it up. It was probably, like, the most popular sport of the 90s. And this yeah. is coming from someone who knows nothing about sport. Yeah. And that, I think that says something. Yeah. Well, I mean, go, like, me. Me, of all people, <laughs> used to, like, rent, like, those, like, NBA Jam session videos and stuff from the video store. Like, was obsessed with basketball. Yeah. I used to go watch it all the time, like, playing here. Like, yeah, it was great. But it yeah. was definitely uh, for the for those listening that aren't in Australia, uh, Australian rules football is definitely the number one sport in this country. Mm. And there was a time in that Jordan era between, um, I guess, yeah, like those early nineties to to mid to late nineties that the popularity of basketball in this country challenged AFL, which is amazing. Oh, man, the Melbourne Magic was all over it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, the increased uh, interest in our national competition, which is the National Basketball League, it was all attributed to, to Michael Jordan and Nike and yeah. uh, just, you know, uh, building the hype around the brand of Jordan and, and the game of basketball. Yeah, it, it, it was a phenomenon for that little period of time. And this doco kind of just snugly fits in there as this amazing document of it all. Mm. Um, and interesting, I think 1994 would have been too... I would have been way too little for this. Yeah, I, as someone who watched it when they were eight years old, I was bored. Yeah, because it's yeah. not really about basketball. But yeah. it's it's not about basketball. But it's... So for a little kid watching this, you'd just be like, oh, you want the hero story about... Like, the simple hero story about the poor kid in the streets getting fame and glory... Through basketball. That's yeah. what you'd want as an eight-year-old. Yeah, I'd totally. Imagine. And then it challenges so much more than that. It's very adult, this. Yeah. yeah. Well, not just that. I'm sure I was like, Mom, why aren't they dunking? <laughs> yeah. Why are they talking about crack? <laughs> <laughs> What's crack? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it is. That's the thing. It is. You've hit the nail on the head. It, it is. On the surface, it is a empowering, inspirational story about a like young athletes achieving their dreams, but it is so much more than that. It is like a, just an amazing zeitgeist, like just an ex- document of the American struggle at that point. Absolutely, I would say that they <coughs> they don't reach their dreams. I think, yeah, I, I will get into the ending, but I would say that they don't reach their dreams. I think their dreams are crushed and taken from them. Okay, yeah. <laughs> coming in strong. Coming in strong. <laughs> anyway, but we'll get to the ending. Um, so we start off with young William and Arthur, and they are so cute and innocent, and like passionate and enthusiastic, and just full of zest. And the world, like the world, is their oyster, and there's nothing but good things going to happen for both of them. We start with them getting. Uh, picked to go to what's the school? Saint Saint Joseph's. Saint Joseph's. They get well, not draft. Not, I was gonna say drafted. What's like the if they get recruited. Recruited. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this school is, you know, it's where basketballs are made. Would but wait, they make basketballs at the school? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then we follow. Well, they, it, it seems like they keep touting that, but they really have the only one example of Isaiah Thomas. And the amount of... they love to tell you about Oh, my God, do they? The drinking game for this is have a shot every time <laughs> they brag about Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> and you will be shit-faced by the time the three-hour running time is up. <laughs> yeah, this is a long docker. Yeah, but does it feel it? No. no. It, I would say in the last half an hour it does. Yeah. Last... 
yeah, half an hour it does. Like when we yeah. When after the championship games and stuff yeah. have been played, you sort of when it's that But it's needed. Yeah, oh yeah. Cuz if it just ended with like, I don't know, <laughs> the season's done, y'all. <laughs> you'd be like, yeah, what the fuck is going on? But, yeah. All right. I have to pause here and say well, we can't put our hands up because the listeners won't hear it. But hands up who played basketball when they were kids. Hands up. Hands up. <laughs> yep. Hands up. Josh yep. is still playing basketball. I am. I am very poorly. Um, but it is good to throw the ball around and have a bit of fun. Mm. Yeah, I loved it. And it's funny, I think it, even though I don't know shit about professional basketball, like you guys were picking up on everything. Oh, no, this is, you know, this is, you know, they're at this level. And I'm like, oh, cool. Oh, that was just purely narrative based. I loved what, like, Josh shouting out, like, that's a foul. <laughs> like, that was great. That was great. <laughs> and then the ref would call foul, and you're like, yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. But it was good. Like, when they were playing basketball, it shifted from being a documentary to almost feeling like you were watching sports. Yeah. And you were, like, rooting for them and. Oh, we, we applauded at points. Yeah. So, like, yeah, it's. That's the power of this film. It is. It is, like, simultaneously, like, emotionally heartbreaking and engaging and thrilling and intense and funny it's yeah it's everything <laughs> like yeah. all at once yeah definitely um and it's real yeah which is the most insane thing like i love how there's clearly no influence about these documentarians on yeah. these kids outcome like you would think that if these kids are getting filmed that Whatever college, it, oh, not college, their high school is what I have to keep reminding myself. Mm. These are kids. Mm. Whatever high school they're at would just be like, all right, you know, I'm going to make sure they succeed and um, do well because we're being filmed. You yeah. Know? But it just doesn't feel like that. No, no. Well, I mean, even to, like the main point of that is like, I guess we can get into the actual little bit of the, the filming itself. Um, do you want to hear? Yeah, yeah, For me yeah. to jump into that? Um, so money, uh, we'll start with the funding in the movie. So seed money for Hoop Dreams came from several sources, uh, including the National Endowment of the Arts, PBS, and PBS members, as well as um, a bunch uh, radio stations and things around the Minnesota area. Um, yeah, so it was a really kind of grassroots thing. Uh, the film uh, was given an available... Uh, sorry. The film was given as an example to defend the level of U.S. government funding of PBS, which was actually reduced in the years after this coming out. Go figure, governments don't give a shit about arts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So the film was originally intended uh, by the filmmakers Peter Gilbert, Steve James, and Frederick Marks to be a 30-minute short. Mm. uh, Shot in three weeks and to be aired on PBS, uh, focusing on one playground court and its young players. Uh, the filmmakers followed the children back to their homes, and after getting, and after nearly eight years and 250 hours of raw footage, a 30-minute PBS special turned into a three-hour feature on the lives of Gates, and it ended up grossing $7.8 million. How the hell would you edit that from 250 hours of footage? I think that's how it, why it, like, uh, the eight-year kind of eventual span of it. Like, the fact that they started filming in, what was it, 88, 87, 88? And the film doesn't come out until 1994. Mm -hmm. Like, it's and they stopped filming in 90, 90, the 91s, end of the 90, 90, 91 seasons. So, it's like three years of editing on this. (laughs) Absolutely insane. Yeah, and I wonder what it's filmed on. 
I I get the sense because at one point you saw like the boom pole and stuff in the reflection, and it's real dodgy, shitty yeah, equipment. Yeah, yeah. It I think it's shot on video. Yeah. I'm, I'll look this up quickly and see if I can actually find any technical specs on like what it was actually shot. But I think it would have been like. I mean, PBS funding would have been an all-time low anyway around that period, wouldn't it? Sure. I would imagine so. But it's um, yeah, and like the two hundred, like there's there's no way it, it's not shot on film. That is, yeah. And seven point eight million dollars for a documentary. Yeah, it, at that time. Yeah, it. The, the, well, we'll get into that kind of later on in the episode about like the the legacy and the impact that this film had. But yeah, it was shot on a Betacam SP. My so dad just... said always to get beta. <laughs> And then, yeah, obviously it was then converted to 35 mil and, yeah, uh, video. Yeah. Just shot on video. It definitely looks like it's shot on video. I but like that, though. I wouldn't have it any other way. It, gives, it, Time, it ages it. It ages it nicely, makes it feel raw, and it gives it an authenticity of what it's showing. Like, the fact that it's, it's showing underprivileged neighbourhoods and, like, the downtrodden, the, 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 I mean, you were saying like, while watching, this is actually just all about class Absolutely. and it's, it's showing the lower class. Like, and by doing that, just be like, we're not shooting this on like fancy 35 mil. Like, no, it, the fact that it's just a PBS little shitty thing shot on fucking beta cam, like yeah. adds to that kind of grittiness to yeah. it all, I and guess. Authenticity as well. Yeah. One of the things I think we all enjoyed about this this movie was the uh, the nineties fashion. Oh, Holy uh, shit! So many amazing starter jackets. Yeah, and, and super happy pants. And... Oh my god! <laughs> Didn't see a hypercolor t-shirt. But... I was looking for one actually when there was a lot of acid wash, but I wanted a hypercolor so bad. Did anyone ever have one of those? Yes. Yes. No, actually, I think I had the hotline colour, which because we couldn't afford the real thing. Hypercolour were those T-shirts where it's like one colour, but then if like you, it gets hot in certain areas, it changes colour. Oh, yeah. So you put your hand on your shirt, and then all of a sudden you'd yeah. have a handprint there. Yeah. My brother had one, and I was so jealous. That is so funny. <laughs> Novelties. Yeah. Ah, oh, the nineties, and a lot of Nike. I tell you what, it was a very good advertisement for. Nike. Yeah, I'm so surprised they didn't kick in any like any little fund in there to help them finish it off. <laughs> but I suppose that's just how ingrained Nike was in the basketball world at that time. Like William goes to it's it's the Nike training camp. Yeah. Like it is that. Like yeah. with Spike Lee. Oh, Spike Lee giving <laughs> giving the super inspirational speech of nobody gives a shit about you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you're poor black kids, y'all fucked. <laughs> Don't do drugs, be good, study, motherfuckers. Yeah. It's that was I, I actually Because that would have been like the year after do the right thing. Yeah. Like so Spike is pissed. <laughs> <laughs> and it's I think, you know, giving a bit of a reality check to these guys that aren't gonna make it. Obviously we know oh, basketball is yeah. a very, very um, competitive God. sport, and you know we know that there's only five on the court, five on the bench. Yeah. So just giving them a little bit of reality, um, hopefully, hopefully, might made the sting when they got cut. Not not, <laughs> not as bad. Yeah. Um, something I uh, noticed a lot of was um, the differences in schooling uh, between then. And now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, for example, we follow William and Arthur to this school and Arthur's family believe that he's getting a full scholarship and find out that he's only getting a half scholarship. 
uh, in that first sort of year, William and Arthur are both told that they're about uh, achieving at about a grade four, grade five level, mm-hmm. but they're in the equivalent of year eight. So they, they're quite behind. They're really, really behind. William applies himself and it appears like the teachers give a bit more of a shit about him. Like you can see the other teachers are sort of sitting with him and helping him and all that sort of thing. Um, whereas you can sort of see Arthur kind of slacking off and being having a bit of attitude and all that. And then uh, Arthur's family can't afford to pay the half of the tuition. Uh, his mum loses many jobs. His dad loses many jobs. And, and his shirt while he's out smoking crack. Yeah. <laughs> um, Not mean to make fun, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so Arthur has to leave the school and return to his... Ma- what's Marshall? Ma- Ma- well, it, it's a public, just a generic public, public school. school, yeah. And yeah. Um, I remember later on in the film, uh, Arthur's mum is called in to speak to the teachers about what he's been doing and how he's been travelling. And she says, you know, you, you could call me and tell me when these things happen and I can get on to him and all that. And it's just the teacher holding up his results and showing her and showing... He bad. He bad. He's not doing a good job. And yeah. it's it's really interesting for me because if I were to do that, the response would be from parents, well, what are you going to do to support him uh, to improve? Yeah. And, I, and it's just like the complete opposite back then. It's like, well, your son's not doing a good job. He's not engaged. Like that, for me, as a teacher, I'm... Like, it's just so jarring to watch. Mm. And especially they're like, I think it might have been, it might have been William, but I think it was Arthur, you need to get better. Mm. And it's just like, well, maybe he's not engaged. Maybe he's struggling. Maybe he finds it really hard. Maybe he needs extra support. Maybe all these things. And just like, I'm just imagining like me telling my kids, be better. Yeah, like that's that's the advice of the that. teaching. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a I, crazy different. It's it's yeah. I think as well, it's very jarring because it is such a different social class race. Yeah, the the, the scholastic thing. Like it is, and the amount of public schools funded by the U.S. government, like it is, like there's no money for yeah. them. Like, and so it's like, and so many kids, and it's the amount of time that you have. I think it's just a. It's a luxury they don't have as teachers to being able to be like, you're struggling. Like my response is, do better. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. I got yeah. like that's the amount of time I that's have, it. and it's. And I and yeah. I can I can appreciate that, uh, uh, very much. Something else that really, really, uh, it actually got me very emotional was when Arthur looks like he might not be able to graduate with his peers yeah, um, because he can't get his grades released from that other school because his parents didn't pay the amount and it was yep. 1800 bucks or so, something yep. like that. Yeah, like it's, it's yeah, $1,800. would be a lot, which, you know. It's about five grand, I'd say, by nowadays yeah. standard, maybe. And it's just like, something they don't have and we've just watched Arthur's family, you know, go through all these hardships. They've had uh, periods of having no electricity and no gas because the mum's on welfare she can't hold down a job, but she's on welfare. She doesn't even have enough money for food, yeah. let alone all these bills. And you can see her, like, carrying the lamp through the house because that's, like, the only electricity they have. And then they're just so desperate to get his results so that he can graduate. And they're like, oh, can we, like, you know, do a payment plan and all that? And, well, we actually need the results by this time. Can you please, if we start the payment plan, can we actually have them earlier than when we pay it all off? And then... They're so desperately poor. It's just so horrible. It's so like heartbreakingly horrible. I just 
And that asshole who's like the finance officer of the school is just like, oh, you know, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to help you. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I just want to like throw something at the screen right now. I'm so angry. Well, I'll give you two little nuggets here that might get you a little bit feeling better. <laughs> uh, so when the electricity was turned off, uh, the filmmakers obviously wanted to keep going with the movie and stuff. Uh, they themselves provided the money to get all the bills and and um, utilities turned back onto the house out of their own pocket. Wow. So mm, That's amazing. It's interesting because I was saying about interference and how it didn't seem like there was any. It felt there's, very there's like two instances at all where you hear Steve James actually addressing them and talking. And it's when Arthur's like writing his report on butterflies. Yeah. Because yeah. he sees Arthur engaged for the first time and so he's trying to like... Be like, this is great that you like. He's, he's encouraging him. I want to hear your writing. He says, "I want to yeah. hear." And it's like I don't really understand the topic, so I'm going to write my own report on something I'm interested in. It's the life cycle of the butterfly. It's, do you know yeah. we do the life cycle of the butterfly in prep? <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> not in. Oh, I just think that's cute. Hmm. Um, but yeah, that's really good. Uh, the other one was uh, St. Joseph's High School filed a lawsuit to prevent the film from being released in theaters. Uh, they claimed that they were told the film would air on PBS and accused the filmmakers of misrepresenting and defaming the school. Really? Yeah. Uh, the two sides reached a settlement and the filmmakers went on to create an academic fund at the school. Mm. Go fuck them and their stupid school. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> you mean Catholic private schools no, uh, only I didn't want say that. money and uh, horrible? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> that coach was fucking horrible. The yeah. whole reason bloody William gets an injury is because he pushes him too far. And Gene Pingatore. Oh my god. Is that his it's, name? And I love he has the person who's license plate ping. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, you're just like, fuck <laughs> this dude. He's the villain of the film. He is yeah. the villain of the it, film. It's, it's, he's so, he's, has such a single minded vision on. I want to be affiliated with someone that was famous. That's that's why he tells the Isaiah Thomas story. Fucking seventeen thousand goddamn claims of fame. Something that happened in the nineteen seventies. And the second he there. sees that in another possible student athlete, he latches onto them and he pushes them so hard. And then you see the second that William gets hurt, he dumps him. Yeah, yeah. just doesn't give a fuck about these kids. And it's so transparent. Yeah. Yet he pretends to be the greatest coach and, like, the most lovely guy, but it's, you're a fucking giant piece of shit mm. and uh, we can see through you. William tells a story towards the end of the film about him reflecting on his relationship with his coach because yeah. that guy's fucked. Yeah. But he says uh, something along the lines of uh, he was having a lot of pressure from home with his girlfriend, his daughter, his family, her family, whatever, and the coach uh, told him to... Push them, them aside. Push them aside. aside. Yeah. Cut no, cut them out. Cut them out, or yeah, cut, cut them. Off. Cut them aside. Cut, yeah. yeah, something, something like, like that. that. And it's mm. just like this is another thing that I, as a teacher, really like honed in on: student well-being. Yeah. These boys, and you forget so quickly how little they are. We get, they're we start 15, at, 16 years old. We start with them fourteen, and we end with them eighteen. Yeah. Um, so they're children. They're kids, and. The, the pressures they have to deal with, like these adult things pushed onto them and their little dreams of being little basketballers and just all this bullshit and, yeah, pushed onto them, but especially that coach. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. the whole thing, imagine being like 14, 15, 16, 17, like, and you, if you want to get out of the, you know, whatever, and you want to be 
do something with your life, you have to do it now. Yeah. And you're like a kid. He's like not even mature enough to even comprehend that. And I think what the documentary actually does really well is we have other characters like Arthur's dad, but also William's older brother. Yeah, Curtis and Bo. Yeah. That sort yeah. of give us that insight of, well, if they don't actually do all these things, this, that is where they're going. And, th- and that's why I think the... Like I was saying, the, you don't feel the three-hour runtime, especially when it gets into that final hour, because you it's the first time that they really start to lay on the pressure of what these kids are trying to get out of and the world that they're coming from. When it's just, you, it's just shots of driving through the, like, dilapidated street, like, you know, dilapidated buildings and the overgrown streets and things and the rubble, and you see a Steve James be like, the other day, Arthur was held up at gunpoint. Yeah. Like, and you're just like, whoa, what? Like, yeah, so he doesn't win the championship, but he comes third, and he's just on cloud night. He's very, like, he's sad he missed the He's very happy. And then the next thing we know is he's been held up at gunpoint. He's, like, got a bruised face. His sister a week earlier was held up at gunpoint. And, and it, you, yeah. could see, you could see in his face when they were interviewing him that, like, that, that, that shock of, that absolute shock of being held at He thought he was going to die. I know. Like, and, absolutely. It was just... It was really yeah. emotional. And his best friend uh, just got jailed. Uh, his cousin. Oh, cousin. His cousin. It, it, it best friend and cousin. Yeah. Oh, were they cousins? Mm-hmm. Um, See, so you guys like picked up on a level of detail I didn't. Um, but <laughs> Shannon, yeah. his cousin, yeah. Shannon has been put in jail for drug, uh, drug dealing. Drug yeah. dealing. Yeah, and it's just like, fuck. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, it, it's... The film so cleverly establishes itself. Like, the first hour, we'll say, is really just about these kids playing... They love basketball. That's all the the world is. And it's the, the childlike dream of, I want to be in the NBA. Yes. And it's like, oh, this is a sweet little thing. And yeah. then we're going to concentrate on, like, how the high school kind of scouting goes. And then it just slowly, without you even almost perceiving it, slips into a grander statement on the socioeconomical like situations in America in the early 90s late 80s early 90s the uh, the pressure put on kids the fucked up nature and the like I mean, it, it's a very tough one to have three white people discussing I know, I know, what, you're to, I know <laughs> like, what you're about to say yeah, yeah. it it's it, you know it, it's tough. <laughs> There's one scene where... Ugh, I don't know who this guy was. He's the assistant coach who's asking William, I have no problem doing it just because I want to do the Chicago... The annoying Chicago voice. <laughs> With his fucking, like, shoe-polished blacked hair. Yeah. William's been off to Marquette to look at colleges, and it's like the total oblivious nature of these absolute asshole coaches not understanding why these kids want to go to college. They... they, st- they they're viewing it as the myopic dream of when they were little kids of like, oh, they want to get to the NBA. That's all. That's all they're viewing it as. They're not seeing that William wants to get out, get to a good college so he can get the fuck out. Yeah. He just thinks it's the, oh no, he just wants to be rich and famous and be in the NBA and will be the first chapter in that biography. Yay. Yeah. And so with his fucking shoe polish hair, he's like, so how they treat the blacks up there. And you're just like, what the fuck is... And you can see William is upset that he's having to be forced into this conversation of the, the blacks. Yeah. You, you see many black kids up there? They, they treat the blacks well? You just... 
Fuck off, dude. You're a monster of a person. You are a monster of a person. But it's you don't care about the well-being of this kid. No. Nobody all. cares about the well-being of the children at all in this film. He's learned from the best, though. Jane Pingatori. Com- yeah. Complete and utter cunt. That's, that was the thing. Like, I realised when it when you had the Marquette college scouts coming round to the Gates house to, like, talk to William about, like, hey, this is what we're offering you and things... Coach is there. Yeah. He's, like, that's how much of a deal and, like, he, like, he's weaseled his way in to be, he has a say in this kid's future. Mm. He should not at all. Mm. Especially after what has, like, transpired in the last year. Like, ugh. And Coach Pigatori was there that in that school and in that institution for over 50 seasons, 50 years. That's insanity. Even after <laughs> Dug this in movie? like a tick. <laughs> Dug in like a tick. Even after this movie? Yeah, yeah. 2019. Believe... He, 2019, he was coach and he died that year. So he was still coaching, head coach, till he was 82 years old. Let me guess. Heart attack? <laughs> I'm he wasn't having to this period. Died at his home, it says. Yeah. Heart attack. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But I'm thinking, like, are we viewing this the same way people back then would have viewed it? Or are we viewing this with our... I, I think it, it's... Look, to, to, I think, yes, Gene was an absolute asshole, right? But to be the best and to be an NBA player, you really need that level of intensity and... <laughs> um, Ruthfulness as a coach, you know, to to make sure that they know what is expected and what is. I think, yeah, he's definitely, you know, that's fine, but to completely disregard their well being. But but he doesn't think he is disregarding their well being. He thinks he's preparing them for the future Mm. and the trials and tribulations that they're going to come, like you know, that that are going to face them. And it's he's not like Josh is saying. He's not wrong. Like. To be an elite athlete and be in the NBA, you like it's you've got to meet a certain standard. But he's also not taking the time to understand that they're fucking kids. Mm. And I'm sure, I'm sure, like in later years, um, maybe the St. Joseph's program <laughs> might have developed a little bit differently, <laughs> adapted slightly. <laughs> but yes, this was in the mid '90s, and there was extreme a lot of pressure, and especially with. I guess the popularity in that country as well with yeah. uh, how big and, and I think was and... that's part of the great legacy of this film is actually shining a light on a lot of the unnecessary pressures that were put onto especially high school level scholastic athletes like why are we putting why are we making these kids have like such high pressure and like make such insane life decisions when they're kids yeah it's, do you it's know what it, for me it was um, I think it was the Nike camp but it was just all those uh, overweight, middle-aged, balding, grey, white men. Yeah, with, with the beady no eyes. And, and it's just like, when, when there's money to be made, watch the white men flock in. And exploit the young yeah. black men. Yeah, it's, you they, can't they help them, but make the similes there, and it's they, disgusting. They promise them dreams... Like yeah. they promise them dreams and fame and glory, but really they're just exploiting them for yeah. monetary gains. Yeah, and but, yeah, which is why I it's I love the sequence, the the quick scene where it's the Saint Joseph's scout. Yeah, uh, who's like uh, who is a black man, Earl, Earl. Yeah, and he has a talking like a talking a little thing to the camera where he's just like, I question what I do 
every day. Like, I look back on it, and it's like... And then he says how he gets abused and gets racial slurs thrown at him by people of his own race, and it's like, oh, my God, dude. Isn't like, that interesting that yeah. that's not a comment made after this film's come out? That's a comment made during the During film. the film, but, but the only person that is actually hyper-aware of the simile of what is happening with American history and what's happening here is a black man. Yeah. <laughs> like, the white the white guys are just so fucking oblivious to it all, and it's just business as usual, because America. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's disgusting. It's yeah. actually foul. And, yeah, that's why I was saying that I don't think William and Arthur reach their dreams. I think their dreams are crushed out of them. But is that a fault of... The system. And at the system, or is that just America? Like, is that... Yeah. yeah, I think they... I think it's a result of both. I think the pressure that was put on them was unfair and that those little kids that had such high hopes and big dreams didn't yeah. have them anymore. And William, even at the end... The fact that he becomes so disillusioned that he quits the team, like... Yeah. It, it's, it's... But even before yeah. that, he says... Um, what does he say? I, I, he's like listening I could to quit my, playing right now And I'd still be, be happy, happy yeah. And he's listening to a recording of his wife and daughter And it, it, the problem And he makes the point of Basketball was no longer a game It yeah. was a job Yeah. And the second something becomes a job It's no longer fun and you get no enjoyment out of it yeah. Like he, he lost that spark Which is why it's so I, I love it so much That in the back kind of you know Hour and a half of the film after he kind of has, they've lost. And yeah. it's like, his story's done. And he's just, you can see he's defeated and he just doesn't care. He's, he's had it beaten out of him. Yeah. So we cut over to Arthur, who is playing basketball because he loves basketball. Mm. And he's not caught up in all that. And you see that fucking spark that had us invigorated in that first half with, um, with William. It's so great. I love the reversal of these two, I was going to say characters. They're not characters. Yeah. These two guys. I love the reversal and how... William seems to sort of have it made at the beginning and everything's going really well for him. And then, uh, obviously, the injury. And then after that injury, like, it's just all... Yeah. He loses his confidence. It's more than just the injury. He loses yeah. his confidence. Well, I like that in the... After, like, the first hour or 45 minutes, you were like, oh, this is... You, you made some comment about, like, it's not... Not that it's kind of textbook, but it was kind of like, oh, we've got the, the good example and the bad example. Yeah. That's, mm. that's all this is going to be? Yeah. But, but and then yeah. it flips, and then we we uh, I loved Arthur's family and watching their whole journey, and I think that's yeah. the, having it span the years that it did. We got to really see like a real in depth family in this time period yeah. go through a lot of shit, and it's not just that, but it's like go through a life, but yeah. then it's also gives you an idea of what it would mean to not just Arthur to get out, but the. Family. family, like if he gets a college scholarship and like you know gets that level, like some money starts to come yeah. in, like it changes this whole family's family. life. Well, Bo, didn't Bo just say I don't really think about um, I don't really think about Arthur not making the NBA. I just because he, it's him. like my eggs he, are in that fucking basket. He is making the NBA. He was yeah. just totally, and obviously, you know the relationships between Bo and Curtis. So you had Bo, father of Ash. Uh, Arthur, sorry, who you know thought he could have been a, a pro ball player. Um, I don't think he ever could have been. But... No, nope, nope. <laughs> well, it, awesomely <laughs> exemplified in the hyper competitive one on one scene yeah. towards the end, where you see like 
<laughs> former crackhead going at his son like, I'll fucking take you down. <laughs> You're going to get punished. You're going to get punished. <laughs> it's like, uh, dude, can't, I can see out. why you and the wife separated again. Yes. <laughs> he, um, yeah. Uh, and also, you know, obviously with Curtis, um, uh, Curtis Williams' brother, but there was some background story to his, yeah. to his professional career, and unfortunately, he was just a very difficult per- individual. <laughs> do, you, do you think that <laughs> adds? Do you think that's added pressure on there for William that he's probably not talking about the idea that there was that opportunity previously, but it got blown. So this is he's the last chance for the family. And Curtis reminded him of that every day. <laughs> but I think that's for <laughs> Curtis's sake, not William's <laughs> sake. Curtis' story is is. Heartbreaking. Mm. I think you know he. We see attitude, and I just think like if you've got attitude, it just means like it doesn't mean you're bad and you don't deserve things. It means yeah. that whoever's in charge of who's looking after you isn't meeting your needs, and you're you know inspire. I don't know a lot of things, but Curtis, you know, he was like William at the top of his game. Like, what was he ranked like? The, oh, he was the number one player of the decade. Yeah, at yeah. whatever school he was at. Um, and then to have it all ripped away and you're just going from job to job. Not just that, but he was, he was recruited into the University of Florida, I want to say. Yeah. And then, yeah, he just, he just, just the chip on the shoulder, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. But Arthur's mum. I really love watching her progression through this doco because she ages 20 years in the period of this recording over four, she um, she seriously goes through some shit. But I love her story because even though all that shit's going on, she becomes a nurse, which she said mm-hmm. is her dream. And she gets to, we get to see her graduate and all that sort of thing. And, you know, she takes charge of her life and all that sort of thing. I think we were all a bit like, oh, when the dad got back in the picture and they got back together. But then, yeah. <laughs> and the cut to like, Lord Jesus, yeah. help. Yeah. I think um, in the way, like his story was interesting too. Like watching someone go from a working man to a crack addict, hobo on the street to coming but, back. But I mean, as well, the film, like it, it, it it's the early part of their filming where it's like, oh, he's just a working man. And then it's as the film progresses, they're like, Oh no! He beat the shit out of That's the her, thing. and he was arrested for burglary. Like he, yeah. oh, he wasn't just a working man, but no, like we, we didn't get to see that earlier. Yes, yeah. He might have been that all along. But like the narrative progresses as they themselves, the filmmakers, find out, find out more. Like yeah, yeah. But um, I think we all kind of cringed a bit when Arthur's mum took Arthur's dad back in. Yeah, and I think that's. And how untrusting Arthur was of him was awesome. Yeah, yeah. he was having none of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, oh, that, I just thought that was great. And and the fact that the film allowed, like, it, at its core, it's a film about following two kids trying to be, make it to the NBA. But the film takes, like, ten-minute detour to follow the mum finding out she got the top grades in her nursing course and breaking it. Like, the film doesn't need to show us that. No. But we, like you said, we care and we've invested so much time into all of these people that we're like, no, no, we need to see that. Yeah. And they so smartly know to, like, what the story they're telling is. Well, I guess the journeys of both uh, William and Arthur... Uh, are shaped and moulded by all these people around, like, within the family. And to get insight into 
these people because, as you mentioned before, like you know, uh, Bo and Curtis were like these guys are our tickets. You know, yeah. like, these these guys are our tickets, and, and especially with Curtis, it was more like I could it could have been me. It, it's the it's living vicariously brother. through. Yeah, a- absolutely. And to hear to see those backstories, yeah, it sort of forms how Arthur and William have gone even for the even the formative years prior to being you know the, the filming started at 14 just seeing how that sort of developed as well so yeah do you, do you think well I mean it's it's that whole documentary thing of the influence of it all do you think the pressure would have gotten do you think I, I'm trying to think of the way to phrase it do you think Pinkatori would have put applied that much pressure to William if there weren't wasn't the camera crew around and he kind of because William essentially goes through a bit of a breakdown by the end of this film, like yeah. not just physically but mentally as well. You can see he's he's a broken man. I think, I think the challenge was. Oh, sorry. I just. I think the. Cha- sorry. I think. Would he have done that? I think absolutely because he was the MVP. Okay. He was the greatest player in that team. Yeah. So it was irregardless of the fact that there was a crew around. Yeah. He would have been worked the hardest, and because whatever William did in that team environment. Those other players looked up to him. It was mentioned yeah. in the documentary. Yeah, and you know, if if um if he is you know slacking off or falling, you know, falling out of favour with the coach, the coach need yeah needs to be seen to be riding him, and then um make the example of him and like yeah yeah ab- absolutely. Yeah. I think I think that would have happened regardless of the cameras for sure. Yeah, yeah. I I, I actually can't say. I felt like there wasn't the pressure. I felt like removed from the cameras a lot of the time and I forgot about them. Yeah. Which is interesting for a documentary when people are looking down the camera a lot. So, yeah, I I can't say. Well, that's, that's the interesting thing, especially the time and place when this documentary came out. It... Because it's shot in that in that style where you kind of forget that you're watching a documentary. You're just watching a film. Yeah. This was kind of the first to do that. Prior to this, it was really a lot of talking head talking interviews head, yeah. and B-roll footage. Like, not all, not all, but predominantly it was... Documentaries were more rigidly structured. Mm-hmm. And this broke, broke the mould. And that's why it's kind of held in such high regard as, like, a masterpiece of documentary filmmaking. Because it... Change the game, mm. essentially. It's interesting because I forgot watching this that it's that we're, we're doing Criterion now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like an hour and a half and you looked at me and you're just like, I'm so happy this is in Criterion. Yeah. <laughs> it's, we're not watching like some bougie yeah. <laughs> like, European art film. I watch. know. Yeah. It's a fresh change. Yeah, I know. It's great, right? <laughs> it's in colour. This, this comes off of uh, like, yeah, that's what's kind of... <laughs> Interesting. We've just done a three fucking episode block, and it's do- three documentaries. That's it's in great. English. Yeah. <laughs> it's shot on video in Betamax. It's definitely the the cheapestly produced docker we've seen so far in the collection. Well, I've seen so far. Yeah. Was that English? I, I got you though, but okay. uh, no, this is dead. And then no, I've seen this cheaper. There was like I don't want to say Carnival of Souls was made for like seven thousand dollars or something. Okay. Well, I didn't. Well, I didn't I, like it, but yeah, too cheap for me. It was like a going to be like a Twilight Zone episode. Like yeah, uh, well, I think this, the, the doggo was seen. made for seven hundred thousand. Yes, US. Yeah. Apparently. Oh, uh, fucking Chasing Amy was shot for like three hundred grand. That, mm. that that was in that's like number seventy five in the collection. So, yeah. 
Yeah. That would have made maybe a little bit more than uh, Hoop they, Dreams. They spent... <laughs> Uh, debatable. Oh, really? They yeah. spent it all on uh, editing. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, oh, you, you mean Hooper yeah, Dreams? Hoop dreams. Oh, <laughs> man, like, yeah, it's just seeing what what they managed to capture. It like, I can't fathom making a documentary like this, like where it's you just, just essentially live with these people and listen. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. just like. They're the kind of heroes of the story, and they they they're honest and they're open and they're generous yeah. with their time and everything, and very honest. Yeah, and the, the absolute intelligence of Steve James, Frederick Marx, and Peter Gilbert to like they were starting off being like like I said earlier in the episode, it was going to be a thirty minute short PBS doco about one playground of kids playing basketball. And how much they love basketball. That's what it was going to be. But they had the sense of what they were capturing and what they were seeing to be like, there is this bigger story and comment that we can, like, something that we can show the world to be like, hey, let's let's discuss this. Like, there is a giant sociopolitical uh, <laughs> kind of reckoning to be had with this film. So, yeah. yeah. And, and to have the presence of mind while just filming. Yeah. Two 14-year-old kids... And picking up on that and kind of shifting and pivoting in such a way to... Responding to it. Yeah, and redefining what a documentary film can be. Yeah, it's mind-blowing. It's it's amazing. It's a fucking masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> it, like... And super entertaining. Like, the fact yeah. that it's three hours long and it does not feel it. Yeah. I know what you mean. I saw the running time. I'm like, Bleh. yeah, that's a lot of basketball. Yeah. I, I liken it to like I recently have just been rewatching all the Tarantino films because I'm reading the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood book, uh, which is great, by the way. Mm. Um, but most of his films are like close to three hours long. It, it, it's the thing of like I hate when people complain about a movie being too long. A movie is never too long if you're fucking entertained True. and engaged with it. True. Like, and that's what this is. Like, the three hours flies by because you're, like, invested and you give a shit. And, like we said, it's funny, it's entertaining, it's heartbreaking, it's yeah. it's everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely heartbreaking. Hmm. Uh, any final thoughts before we get into some kind of trivia and all of that? Um, no. No, no. I think uh, I, I just really enjoyed it. I... I think I watched it when I was, uh, what, it came out in 94. I think Dad hired it at home. I would have been, or oh, this is showing my age, but I would have been about 14 mm-hmm. at the time. Um, so the age of the boys at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, um, around that time. And I was heavily into basketball. Mm. Uh, it was uh, quite challenging because obviously the... Uh, uh, Contents a bit. <laughs> yeah, mm. it's crazy. As Chris mentioned, what's crack and all that? <laughs> I didn't know what yeah. that was either. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but I uh, I was very appreciative of my dad bringing that home to watch that with me because uh, it was yeah it was it was definitely an experience and and obviously the basketball you know obviously the basketball components and seeing Isaiah Thomas like come out like that was just amazing you know to come talk to the. You know, talk to the kids, and and, and and later on, like, so I didn't know who the hell Spike Lee was back then, but to mm. see, but to see him giving that real, yeah, <laughs> uh, reality check, amazing, <laughs> absolutely. Mm. Um, before we get into the trivia and stuff, I think uh, there's one important thing that we have to address, though. Yes, I think we need to find out what Claire thinks this film's about. 
Absolutely. What does she think it's about? (laughs) All right. That music means it is time once again for Claire's... What's that movie about? Or is it this movie? Either way. This or that. This or that. Get the pronouns right. Yeah. Um, We have Hoop Dreams from 1994. Holding up the DVD case for you now. Now, I have a little bit of prior knowledge. I know that this movie won an Academy Award. Did it? Or, Or was nominated. Did? Was it? No, it was controversially not nominated. Oh, okay. Fuck, I know nothing then. It's a it, documentary. It, it was, it, it it's was, a documentary. Yes, it was. it's a documentary. It's one of the biggest look, documentaries of the 90s, and it was controversially not nominated. Look, for I may have even seen some of it, but I do not remember anything about it. I th- believe there's kids playing basketball, mm-hmm. and they want to, like... They have dreams? They have dreams. <laughs> there's kids playing basketball, and they, like, have dreams to be, like... What's the basketball? NBA. NBA. Yeah. And they want to be in the NBA and it's like following their dreams, like interviewing them about like their journeys. Like most of them aren't going to make it, obviously, Mm -hmm. if not any of them would ever make it. But it's just like interviewing them on their like thoughts and feelings when they're like teenagers. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Short, concise, to the point. I like it. Documentary. It's so much easier to be like, yeah, this is what what it's about. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, what it is about is two ordinary inner-city kids dare to dream the impossible. Professional basketball glory. Oh, I'm so close. In this epic chronicle of hope and perseverance, filmed over a five-year period, Hoop Dreams follows young Arthur, Arthur Agee and William Gates as they navigate the complex competitive world of scholastic athletics while striving to overcome the intense pressures of family life and the realities of their Chicago streets. Okay. So you were not far off. Not far off. See, I think I might have seen a little bit, but I, I yeah. might not have. It, it's really, it, it is just focusing on two unique okay. individuals. That's why um, when we watched Boy State last year, I kind of likened it to a political hoop dreams to some mm. degree. I didn't watch Boy State either. Oh, that's right. You didn't watch that one Yeah, because you were so so in love with it, and sometimes loved, I'm contrarian because yeah. you're like, I love it, and I'm like, well, I'm not going to watch it. I don't give a shit about <laughs> this. <laughs> Where's Girl State, motherfucker? That actually exists. Okay. <laughs> uh, thank you, Claire. So, yeah, she, she did well on that one, so well done, Claire. <laughs> Closest <laughs> she's gotten yet. But um, do you guys want to hear a little bit of trivia sure. about the film? Uh, so the film won the DGA, the Directors Guild, uh, Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Documentary, a Special Distinction Award at the Independent Spirit Awards, the Documentary Audience Award at the Sundance Film Festival, where it was also nominated for Best Documentary. It won a Peabody, and it was uh, named the Best Documentary by the National Board of Review and was inducted into the National Film Registry in the Library of Congress in 2005. Mm. It was also nominated for an Academy Award... For best editing. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's really? Shit. That's terrible. Not doc- best documentary, which I'll get into in a second. Uh, the film is also included on Roger Ebert's list of great movies. He actually named it his number one film of the 1990s. Wow. Uh, e- Siskel and Ebert, I mean, Chicago natives, so obviously they're behind this. The bees. They went 
so hard for this film, and so much so that on the Criterion DVD there is segments of Siskel and Ebert tracking the acclaim of Hoop Dreams is on the, as a special feature. They pushed hard for this movie. Uh, according to, and so let's enter the Oscar controversy. Fuck the Oscars, but yeah, sure. Yes, so, according to Roger Ebert, after the film failed to receive an Oscar nomination for Best Documentary, he and Gene Siskel looked into the nominating process. He said that members of the Academy's documentary committee, who were not actually documentary, documentary filmmakers, but actually just volunteers, so they had to watch a slew of documentaries to figure out what should get it. And as such, uh, the committee was given flashlights while they watched documentaries. And anyone who had, quote, given up could wave their flashlight against the screen. Uh, The movie was turned off after a majority of flashlights were waved. This film was turned off after 15 minutes. What? That's terrible. You look so pissed off, Lee. I'm so pissed off. It's because it's got black people in it. <laughs> or it's also just, I don't know, this isn't... It they went get... on to be, basically, it, it's not what a documentary was. Mm. Yeah. It's not... There's no talking heads. They're not establishing what their idea is, what they're talking about. They're just... I don't. This is. Boring. I don't get it. Yeah. But does that does that show a lack of respect by the Academy to get a comedian that aren't yes. even documentarian? Yes, and right. so that it basically, uh, as a result, the rules were changed to allow documentary filmmakers themselves to vote in what gets nominated in that category. It was essentially a complete overhaul Good. of that voting process as a result of uh, this film. Okay. What the fuck? Yeah, uh, apparently uh, with the push uh, from Siskel and Ebert and stuff, uh, Entertainment Weekly uh, ran an article uh, explaining all of this stuff and uh, the outrage and just kind of built and yeah. So again, legacy of this film helped fucking change the absolute bullshit of the Oscars a little bit. Mm. Good. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just love that that's a massive footnote is like <laughs> the Oscars. It's a massive footnote. Like, it, this, like it, well, it's great that it's it is one of the biggest Oscar snubs, so much so that it changed the Oscars. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because how the fuck did this not get nominated and win Best Documentary? I mean... And editing. It should have won for editing as well. Let's oh, be man, honest. Those cuts when it's just like the <laughs> fucking Gene hopping on the bus. He's like, now on the bus trip, remember, yeah. I think about the game. <laughs> and then he just sits and it's silent for like five seconds. Cut to fucking like Arthur's. Arthur's <laughs> Boston, they're fucking playing poker and shit. Like, amazing. Yeah. Amazing yeah. editing. Um, to stay eligible for college basketball, according to NAAC rule, uh, NCAA rules, uh, neither player's family received any money for the film's sale while they were in school. Uh, Adrian Gates were later made full partners and received equal shares of the profits, same as the producers. Oh, that's cool. Good, yeah. good. For, like, yeah, the, everything that's... is just like, f- these guys rule who yeah, made this movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Paying for their electricity and gas yeah. when they were cut like, off. Opening up scholarship funds, making the kids full partners. Like, god damn, man. It's it's great. Um, we've talked about the lawsuit and the electricity. Uh, oh, this is one for Josh, actually. Uh, among the players at the Nike summer camp that William Gates attended, uh, you can also see... I, I, I knew one of these names. Let's see if you know the others. Uh, Jalen Rose. Yeah. 
Uh, Jalen Rose and Chris Chris Webber. Oh, oh sorry, Chris, was Chris Webber one of them as well? Yeah, he was the he was the name I knew. Yeah, yeah so he I go for Golden State Warriors, and he was uh, he was a great player for the Golden State mm. Warriors. So. And uh, Juwan Howard, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Um, I found this interesting in a 2010 interview with Bill Simmons. Uh, Steve James claimed that he had two small regrets about the documentary. Uh, first, he would have shot more footage of Arthur at school to show his academic struggles. Yeah. And second, he would have he wouldn't have included footage of Arthur uh, auditioning as Isaiah Thomas. Uh, what? Uh, sorry, he. I've messed that up. Sorry, he would have included footage of Arthur was auditioning to play Isaiah Thomas in A Mother's Courage, the Mary Thomas story, a made-for-TV movie from 1989. <laughs> yeah, super weird, right? Hallmark. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I guess, do we get into the where are they now? Yes, I've been waiting for that. (laughs) Always got to love a good where are they now. All right, so Arthur Agee uh, was chosen as the number one pick in in the newly formed USBL, United States Basketball League, by the Florida Sharks in 1995. He was released by the team and was quickly picked up by the Long Island Surf. He eventually ended up in Canada playing on the Winnipeg Cyclones team. So not NBA, no. but something close. Kind of, yeah. Well, he, he, he made a living playing basketball. Yeah, well, that's good. He was still passionate about it, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, the, um, similarly, the AG family moved out of the neighbourhood uh, after the film was released. Uh, Arthur had said that uh, a lot of his friends had died and that he vowed to leave, uh, especially after he was robbed at gunpoint. And apparently the family moved to Arkansas. A lot of his friends had died. That's mm-hmm. awful. Uh, I've got William's one, like, yeah. Where, where he eventually ended up. Yeah. Uh, William Gates uh, became a church pastor in the area where the Cabrini Green projects uh, were once located. Mm. Um he was in a terrible state personally when he began uh, being involved with the church and had a lot of people whom he had known personally from Cabrini uh, become part of his congregation. Uh, Arthur Agee's dad, Bo, also became a church minister after he had been um, given up, after he had been given a second chance from his blah, 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 blah. Like, yeah, we know that in the film. Yeah, I could have sworn one of them ended up playing for the Harlem Globetrotters for a little while, but I can't find that info again. I might have... Right. Read that differently somewhere. Maybe I don't know. one of our listeners might know that, and they can let us know. Yeah. Do we know what happened to Curtis? Do you want to talk about what happened to Curtis? <laughs> I think we need to. Uh, <laughs> Curtis was murdered. Oh, what? <laughs> Why are you laughing? Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of like the reason I'm like scanning through my phone to get this info now is I didn't have it on my sheet because I'm like, do we want to get into the bummer stuff? Well, right. I, I guess when you're that invested, you want to know. I yeah, I, I believe Curtis was shot and killed. So yeah, I, I yeah. think it was what I read was a love triangle. Oh yes, yeah, so a jaded lover okay. uh, shot and killed Curtis. So. Fuck. Yeah. And William, his brother, became a pastor. No, that was his dad. And then his dad died as well. Oh, but no, but William became a pastor, yes. Oh, William sorry, was, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, yes. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. 
Alright, so uh, before we get wrap this bad boy up, have you got some taglines? Yes. Um, hoop dreams. What hoops may come. <laughs> it's terrible. I know it's terrible. I can think of another one. You tell me yours. Uh, I've just, yeah, I was struggling. So all I've got is hoop dreams. Um, small lives dream big. Aww, that's cute. Joshy? Uh, hoop dreams. Hoop babies. <laughs> we have a winner. <laughs> uh, so we'll move on to the actual Criterion edition itself. So uh, it is still in print from Criterion as a two-disc DVD or a one-disc Blu-ray. It's available on the Criterion channel, uh, but it comes with the special features of two audio commentaries, one with filmmakers Steve James, Frederick Marx, and Peter Gilbert, and one with the film subjects Arthur Agee and William Gates. Yeah. Life After Hoop Dreams, a new documentary that catches up with Agee and Gates and their families. Additional scenes, collection of excerpts from Siskel and Ebert tracking the acclaim of Hoop Dreams. Uh, original 1994 music video for the film's theme song. Trailer, as well as the usual booklet and essays that Criterion usually do. That's so, good features. Yeah, it's a solid edition, this one. Yeah. Hmm. But I guess, unless we've got anything else, that'll wrap us up for Hoop Dreams. Cool. Yeah. Um, as always, the usual rigmarole of uh, Lee's killing it over on the Instagram, at Criterion Quest. You can follow me on Twitter, at the Criterion, at, at Criterion Quest as well. Uh, but Patreon, we, we've uh, done away with our standard format of the audio commentary triptych, and we're just freeballing it at the yeah. moment. Freeballing <laughs> it. Loose and free. Yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> so at the time of recording this, we've done our first just random willy-nilly one, and it's Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, <laughs> which is a fucking masterpiece. It is a fucking masterpiece, Chris. <laughs> yeah, and you should all head over to Patreon, and for the price of a beer at the pub, you can uh, help support the show and listen to how much Lee and I think that film <laughs> is a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so just, I'll, as always, I'll link to all this garbage in the, <laughs> in the episode description. <laughs> but, uh, thank you all for listening. As we said at the beginning, we love hearing from you guys, so keep it up. Uh, otherwise, we will be back in a fortnight's time for, uh, Louis Bonwell. The Phantom of Liberty. <laughs> back to reality for you, Lee. <laughs> oh, no, no, it's fine. We've already recorded this one. <laughs> I think that's why Lee's giggling. <laughs> You're like, oh, I remember that film. <laughs> so uh, tune in in a fortnight's time for that. But otherwise, for this week's episode, I'm Chris. I'm Lee. I'm Josh. <laughs> we'll see you next time. 